failures When I consider all the times I've let God down I am humbled by the grace He has extended I'm amazed at the mercy I have found I could never earn His love on my own Yet every time I come before His throne I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb I stand redeemed before the great I Am When He looks at me He sees the nail-scarred hand That bought my liberty I stand redeemed Even at my best I am unworthy I have nothing precious I can give A broken life is all I have to offer And yet it's a priceless gift to Him The bitter mark of sin will never fade away But I can come before Him unashamed I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb I stand redeemed before the great I Am When He looks at me He sees the nail-scarred hand That bought my liberty I stand redeemed I stand redeemed By the blood of the Lamb I stand redeemed Before the great I Am When He looks at me He sees the nail-scarred hand That bought my liberty I stand redeemed When He looks at me He sees the nail-scarred hand That bought my liberty I stand redeemed Excuse me, I trust you stand redeemed, amen? That's good. Well, amen. Let's take our Bibles tonight. Turn over to the book of Judges, chapter 16. Judges, chapter 16. I'm not sure if I'm going to start a series or not, but I'd like to start a series, and I may do it, called uh, Lessons from the Grave. And that's uh, basically what we're going to do today. I'm going to uh, have a sermon that's basically a lesson from the grave. And um, I may do another one here next week. I'm not sure yet, but I thought about uh, touching on just different people who, or different circumstances in the Bible that involved a grave. And uh, so this will be a number one. Now, whether or not there's a number two, we'll see. But uh, I think there just might be in the future. Now, <clears throat> let's go ahead and read in Second Kings. Uh, excuse me, Second. Uh, no, I'm, re- I'm sorry. Hold on a second. Just everybody stop laughing at me a minute so I can think. <laughs> I'm looking at the series. See, you got to understand, I've got the whole series in front of me, and so I had Second Kings 13 as one of my. Uh, one of my topics, and so I started to say the wrong one. So let's go to Judges chapter 16, if you're not already there, and uh, we'll go ahead and start reading, okay? And uh, that'll help. Okay, now you can laugh the next time I make a mistake, because I won't have to worry about it. I have the notes right in front of me. Okay, so Judges chapter 16, verse 23, we're going to read through the chapter, uh, through thir- verse 31. And again, it's a very familiar passage, probably. You've, you've heard of the, the uh, account of um, Samson. And so that's really what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at Samson's life. And, of course, we know how it ends, right? It ends in a grave. See? Lessons from the grave. Okay? So let's go ahead and read chapter 16, verse 23. 
Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. It came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may make us sport. They called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand. I think there's a message right there, by the way. Think about that lad. He lost his life. Some parent wasn't doing a very good job of raising their children. Some, there's a bunch of drinking going on. There's partying going on. They're praising false gods. And next thing you know, the child dies. And that's sad. We see it all around us today, don't we? Anyway, moving on. <clears throat> so nonetheless, it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house. He made them sport and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two pill middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, and uh, the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Then his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eschiel in the burying place of Manoah, his father. And he judged Israel 20 years, <clears throat> 20 years. Tonight, I want to take just a few moments and I want to consider this passage. And I want to ultimately consider the thought or the idea that we serve a God of second chances. Amen. And I just want to consider that thought today. And I want to do that by breaking it down into two simple sections. One, lessons we learn about falling. And number two, lessons we learn about the Father. And so I want to look at those two aspects of this passage tonight and see if we can't glean something and, uh, that will encourage us and help us in the future. Now, obviously, it's never God's will that anybody fall. It's never God's desire that anybody backslide. That's never something God would intend or would He desire or want. But the reality is, is that it's possible that maybe someone in the room has backslidden or fallen back at some point in their life. It's possible that maybe you will at some point trip up and ultimately slip up and go backwards instead of forwards for the Lord. And again, God forbid that happen. However, the reality is, is that we learn some lessons about falling in this passage. But we also learn some lessons about the Father. And it's important that we learn these things so that it will help us in the future. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and then begin with lessons we learn about falling. Father, we love you. We need you. And Lord, we know from our own experience that a number of believers have taken the wrong steps in life, have gone the wrong direction at times. And Lord, if they're not careful, they've been so discouraged and so depressed and down on, that they feel almost as though they could never rebound and never ultimately serve you and do anything on your behalf again. Lord, that's sad because that's not true. Help us to learn about what it will cost you. And what it could cost us when we fall. But Lord, on the other hand, help us to learn <clears throat> about you, our Father, as well. To know something about you. And um, Lord, we'll thank you for that. 
Now, Lord, we just ask that you bless the service and fill me with your spirit, and may our hearts be encouraged. Father, may you reclaim and restore any believer that's fallen. And Father, may you, Father, help us that are still in the battle to stay and stand and to, Father, fight and not to retreat. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, lessons we learn about falling from the passage. First of all, when we're captured by Satan and bound by sin, I want you to know that the enemy rejoices. Look at verse 23 in the passage. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered themselves together for, to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. Now the lords of the Philistines had gathered themselves together, the passage says. I mean, they gathered themselves together in order to sacrifice unto Dagon, their particular God, to, to rejoice. Well, the word rejoice in the Hebrew here is used for festivity. It's used for merrymaking or a feast in many cases. Therefore, what was going on is that these leaders were getting together for what? A celebration. They're gathering for a celebration. This was a festive occasion for them. I mean, Samson, their avowed adversary, their sworn nemesis, their their greatest roadblock to, to total dominance was now in their full control. I mean, before he would hold back the tide of evil. Now, he was rendered helpless. He stood as the protector of Israel. And his reputation and his feats of strength had been known throughout the the kingdom and it had echoed in the ears of every single boy and girl in Philistine, of the Philistines. These leaders had plenty to rejoice about. I mean a lot. With Samson out of the way, the Philistines could now enforce their will on Israel. With Samson out of the way, they were poised in position to claim the land and spoil the inhabitants. This was a great day on the calendar of the Philistines. This was a wonderful occasion. And may I say, don't fool yourself. Anytime a child of the king, Anytime a soldier of the cross, anytime a servant of the Lord is captured by Satan and bound by sin, you can bet your bottom dollar that somebody is celebrating and extremely happy by it all. You can bet on it. I mean, the spirit-filled believer is the one who stands between Satan and the sinner and their pursuit of pleasure, their pursuit of power and preeminence. And when the man of God, the woman of God falls, and when they retreat from the work of God, when they allow themselves to be taken captive by sin, there is somebody that wants to rejoice and is very happy. You can bet on it. Because there's no more opposition now. There's no more conviction now. There's no more guilt any longer. I don't know about you, but when you're not right with God and there are people around you that are, you don't feel very comfortable. Let me tell you something. The Philistines of this world will rejoice when the believer falls. Not only that, but when we're captured by Satan and bound by sin, faith in their God is reinforced. It's reinforced. Look at verse 24. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy, and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. See, not only did the lords or the leaders of the Philistines rejoice, but now we see the people, when they note Samson, the Bible tells us that they praised their God. They're gods, excuse me, little g gods. Now, the, in this case, the god was, was um, Dagon. And Dagon was the national male god of the Philistines. This particular god was, of course, one of their gods. They had a number of other gods. They had goddesses as well. But these deities, the male and the female god of the Philistines, had a head, a the breast and the hands of a human. But then the rest of their body was like a fish. Now, you know, the fish was a natural emblem of fertility and productivity in their culture. They were a maritime people, so therefore it meant a lot to them. So now what we have here is we have the God of Israel standing 
in opposition to their God who provided them productivity, who, who gave to them fertility and who ultimately gave them victory. And so here they are now with Samson, this great strong man of Israel who stood for Israel and the God of Israel. And now here he is before them helpless. So what did they naturally do? Well, they praised their God. Praise the Dagon. Praise the Dagon. We rejoice because Dagon has delivered our enemy into our hands. And notice it says in verse 24, and when the people. And I think what we're seeing is that not only, again, the leaders, but also the very people themselves. And he's trying to, it makes the distinction there to try to somehow help us to understand the universal aspect of this. The fact that they attributed the success of, of the fact that Samson was, was now bound in their control to their God. Not just the leaders, but the people. The nation now said, our God is the God. The fact is, is that this particular feast, this celebration, was likely spurned or kicked off because of their celebration and praise to Dagon for this victory. So now here they gather. However, God would not allow His name to be blasphemed that way. He wasn't very pleased with how things were going down on earth at that time. He didn't like the fact that the servants of Dagon had elevated their God above Him. And He was determined to vindicate Himself in His glory. May I say, don't fool yourself again. Anytime a child of the king, a soldier of the cross, or servant of the Lord is captured by Satan and bound by sin, let me tell you something, you can bet your bottom dollar someone's not only happy and celebrating, but they're also praising their gods. Someone's elevating their God above the God when that happens. See, pursuing God today is viewed as inferior in many cases to pursuing money or education, or philanthropy, or power, or position. And sadly enough, we kind of help or aid in that by not allowing them to see the power of our God and the ability of our God to overcome circumstances and situations in our life. He's not real enough to us. And when the world looks at us, they say, listen, we get so much more out of our pursuit of our God than you get out of the pursuit of yours. Isn't that sad to think that the world says they are wasting their time serving their God when in reality they simply serve us? Isn't that sad? Not only do we see here that when we're captured by Satan and bound by sin that the enemy rejoices, faith in their God is reinforced. But it's interesting to note that they're quick to make fun of us. When we fall, it's really us that's the butt of the joke. Look at verse 25, and we'll look at verse 27. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars. Verse 27, Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. It immediately says in verse 25, When their hearts were merry. These may have been praising their god Dagon, but they were also indulging in drink. They were getting liquored up. Now listen, that, that would impair their, impair their reasoning some. Now I don't know about you, but if there was a man who had carried the gates of a city on his shoulders, who had used the jawbone of an ass to kill a thousand, and there was a man who had literally defied the Philistines and by himself had victory over them, I don't know that once I took him captive that I would probably bring him out in the midst of this massive group of people and hope he didn't get his strength back. 
I mean, I'm not getting this, really. i got to believe that they were, they were impaired slightly from their alcohol. i got to believe they weren't thinking too straight. And they were certainly prideful and arrogant at this point, believing their God had so delivered him that he could never gain his strength back. <clears throat> they bring Samson out, and they make sport of him. The idea is that Samson's brought there to be kind of baited by the crowd, you know, uh, jeered, laughed at, reviled, reproached, that he's, he's maybe even hit and struck and spit upon. Some have even suggested that, that he was brought out for the purpose of dancing before the crowd. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've, I, I, I like uh, uh, the show Partners. It's got Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin in it. Jerry Lewis, he's a, he wants to be a, he wants to be a, a cow riding, you know, rope slinging cowboy. <clears throat> Dean Martin is, and he's not. And there's one part where he goes out and he, he, he puts a hat on and Dean Martin says, now these guys are killers here. You, you, he said, these guys are bad news and I'm just going to call you killer. So his name's killer. He says, killer, I like it. And all of a sudden, when the shooting starts, he's found hiding in a corner somewhere. And one of the other guys comes up and says, hey, what do we got here? He goes, look at this uh, tin horn or something. He grabs him, pulls him out of the, the truck, and he stands him up. And what's your name? He says, he says oh, that, that's Killer Jones. He goes, oh, really? He pulls his gun out, and he starts going, dance, dance. He starts shooting at his feet, and he's going. <laughs> you know, he's dancing all over the place. And finally, he's like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And he's. I'm just trying to have some fun with him. He was having some sports, see? Jerry Lewis was, was you know, he, he, he was, as, as it says here, you know, they called him out to make sport of him. Well, that man was making sport of Jerry Lewis. And he had him dancing from. Now, I don't know if they had, you know, something and he was, you know, dancing for him. I don't know what he was doing. I, I, I highly doubt he was dancing. I, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I don't know. But either way, he was, as, as, as we see here, the idea is that he was, he was made a show of. I mean, he was center stage. He was the main attraction. Now, someone's always happy to praise their gods and use the God as a doormat to wipe their feet off on. They're always happy to do that. And I can see the crowd casting jawbones at Samson. As, you know, as, as they hit him in the face and the body, they just laugh and have the greatest time of all. Look it. He used a jawbone of an ass. What's he going to do with it now? As they fling it at him and he can't see. He's taking it on the chin, the face, and the body. They cry out, so this is the strong man of Israel who carried the gates of the city away. Now look at him. He struggles to stand upright. I can hear them jeering Samson and saying, Oh, so you killed lions with your bare hands, but now you can't even kill a flea. <laughs> Making fun of him. You know, and I can almost hear the crowd today, can't you? Saying, that Christianity stuff doesn't really work like they say. I mean, this, th there isn't really a God in heaven. The Bible's just what I thought it was. A compilation of antidotes and stories that were written by men. Oh, I knew one of those Christians and, and they told me how big their God was and how their life had been changed and yet look at them in ruin and they turned their back on the Lord and they're serving Satan just like everybody else. Now, they won't say serving Satan, but that's what they see. And they say this heaven and hell stuff's for the birds. I mean, this judgment's a figment of the imagination and heaven's a man-made concoction to appease the masses. I mean, it's a big joke, this stuff. Making fun of us, making fun of them, those that have fallen, and unfortunately, making fun of our God. Again, you can bet your bottom dollar that any child that falls, any child of God that falls, someone's going to be very happy. Someone's going to be elevating their gods above the God, and they're going to be very quick to mock and make fun of the servant that fell. When we take a stand for the Lord and then we go back, 
we look stupid. Let me tell you something. You be real careful. They're going to laugh at us. So we noticed lessons we learn about falling. First of all, let me tell you, if you fall, the enemy's going to rejoice. Faith in their God will be reinforced by our fall. And they're going to be quick to make fun of us. Those are lessons. Lessons that we learn about falling. But let's consider some lessons we learn about the Father now. Number one, God will hear our prayer if we're broken. God will hear our prayer if we're broken. Notice verse 28. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. You know, we're aware of a few conditions in scriptures that hinder our prayers, aren't we? Number one, sin. Sin hinders our prayers. The Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What it says there and what he's really getting at is simply this. He's saying, if I know there's something in my life that doesn't belong there, if I'm very aware that, that there's a sin that, is, is blatant, is in my, that God has revealed to my heart, has made clear to me, and I allow it to rule and reign in my life and I don't deal with it, if I regard it, if I elevate it in a sense, if I don't get rid of it, it's kind of like Eli when he saw his two sons and his two sons were serving Belial and yet he was unwilling to dethrone them from their position but instead continued to support them in their sin. As a result of that, they lost their lives. Eli did too. Let me tell you something. When we know that there's something in our life that doesn't belong, we have to dethrone it. We can't allow it to rule on the throne. We can't allow it to exist and continue. The Bible says if we regard it, if we continue to look at it and elevate it above God and His Word, then the Lord will not hear us. So that's a that's a major issue. It's an issue that sometimes I do not want to think about in my life. I wish I could, as Brother Moon said, there are times I wish I could tear that one out. I really do. Because like you, unfortunately, there are things about my flesh that I love. And every day I fight the flesh just like you do. But when we allow the flesh to rule, self to rule, then our prayers are not being heard then. We have to be honest with ourselves at times. It's just so easy. Well, God has to hear me. He promised He would hear me. Yeah, if we don't regard iniquity in our hearts. Not only that, but we notice selfishness is a problem. And again, one could say, well, that's just sinfulness. Look at 1 Peter 3, verse 7. I think I've mentioned this specifically because... It's important when you consider it's tied to the relationship of marriage. And again, sometimes we take our marriages a little bit lightly. We don't understand how important it is that we are right with one another. And if we're not, we can't really be really right with God. And now, again, someone says, well, you don't understand my husband or wife. I'm not saying, now listen, if you're doing everything biblically possible, then yes, I understand that. But so many times... We play a part as well. It's not just one person usually. Normally it takes two to tango, if you know what I mean. So notice this real quick. In 1 Peter 3, 7, he says, Likewise, ye husbands, and he's speaking directly to you and I as men, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. May I say that giving honor to the wife does not mean doing dishes for her. doesn't mean running the sweeper for her every day. It doesn't mean doing the housework for her. doesn't mean taking care of the kids all day so she can go out and do her business. I never read that in the Bible anywhere. I'm sorry, but I'm a little fed up today with the fact that Christians have the same role models as the world does. That we haven't understood that God has some separate roles that He expresses and that He says are distinct for men and women 
And it affects the way we live our lives. It affects the way we live our marriages. I still think men ought to open doors for ladies. Because, see, I think a man should still be that way. I don't care that our culture says women beat up men today and women are just equal with men today and women are just like men today. I don't care. I don't care what the world says. A woman is not a man. No matter what the world says, God says they're not the same. And the fact is is that no woman's like me and I'm not like, not like any woman. And good for you, ladies, you're not like me. You ought to be thankful. But the fact is, is that there are some specific roles. So honoring someone doesn't mean that we do anything they say whenever they say it. That's not what it means. And by the way, let me liberate some of the ladies. There's not one lady in the room that ought to be expected to support the home. Maybe we should let her be that person at home she ought to be. Instead of expecting her to provide the finances for the home and still do all the housework. Thank you, preacher. We love you. You are so wonderful. This is so great. Yeah, I know. You'd be amazed how simple life can be when we actually adopt biblical roles. But anyway, moving on. (laughs) Thank you, preacher. This is great. I know, and that was a sidebar. You didn't even pay for that one. Notice again, husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. That one goes over like a lead balloon today. It's not talking about mentally weaker. It's not talking about she doesn't have the intellect that a man has. I know a lot of women are smarter than men. But it is talking about her physical abilities. She's weaker. And emotionally she's weaker, gentlemen, or at least she should be. Then you, you should be stronger emotionally than her. You should be able to uplift her. You should be able to hold her up. You ought to be able to encourage her. Not go, oh, you need to encourage me. Oh, I had a bad day at work. Oh. That's pitiful. Isn't that pitiful? Not only is she bearing the burden of the children now, not only is she bearing the burden of her, her, her daily walk, her life, but now she's got to bear you up. And yet you're supposed to be the one that's strong and you're supposed to be the one hel- helping lift up the home. I'm not one that believes that men should gather around on men's outings, by the way, and hold hands and sing kumbaya around a fire either. <laughs> I don't believe in all that stuff. Okay? If a man needs to cry because he's under conviction, that's one thing. But, you know, I don't know. Some of that other stuff. Okay, so anyway, he goes on to say, And being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Notice again, giving honor unto the wife. Man, we ought to treat our wives like they're, 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 they're queens. We ought to elevate them. We ought to care for them. We ought to meet their needs. We ought to go the extra mile to make them feel special and unique. We shouldn't do anything to purposely hurt our wives. Man, we need to make sure that that's an aspect of it. When we get selfish as men, as husbands, then the Bible says when that begins to happen, then our prayers are hindered. When all we see is us and not our wives, the weaker vessel, the one that needs us, and when all we can think about is our need being met and our desire being fulfilled and our purpose... Wait a second, what about her? Man, we've got we to gotta look at her in a very unique way and we've got to make sure that we're right with our wife, that we're not being selfish and self-centered. Because if we are, then our prayers are hindered according to the Word of God. So we deal with that. But God hears our prayers when we're broken. Note the contrast between Samson's attitude and outlook in 1620 versus 1628. Look what happens here in verse 20, in chapter 16. In verse 20, he says, and she said, again, we know that he's now with Delilah, and um, she's cutting his hair off and, or having someone cut the hair off, that kind of thing. And then the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. You know, he honestly thought God was all over him. Man, he thought he had the power of God. Now, can you answer me this question? How could a man that is 
involved in total immorality. I mean, obvious immorality. How could a man like that somehow believe that he has the Spirit of God on his life, the power of God on his life, that he's right with God and God is with him? You say, well, I don't know. Well, let me ask you this. How is it that we think we can think dirty thoughts and do bad things and disobey God's scriptures and have attitudes toward the brethren and we think we're right with God? We've got the Spirit of God all over us. That's good, preacher. I mean, what makes Samson's sin really any worse than our sin sometimes? Oh, I know that we have this gauge and we say there's bad sin and then there's really bad sin and then there's not so bad sin. I mean, that's our nature. That's how we are. We like to put things, you know, in kind of levels and we go, well, I'm down here in the not so bad sin section and because of that, then I'm, a, I'm still right with God. God understands my weaknesses. Well, maybe Samson thought that too. Maybe Samson said, you know, God, you made me with this flaw. You made me to love women really a lot. There's just something about them that just draws me to them. And I can't control myself. And you know how that is. And me and you, we got an understanding. And for the last 20 years, I've been a pretty good judge of Israel. And I just got tired of living right. And Or maybe he wasn't living right. I don't know. But we know for 20 years he was doing something. He was ruling Israel. We kind of have a break in some things. But he justifies his sin. And notice here, he shakes, he goes out, I'll shake myself like before. But he wists not. He wists not that the Lord had departed. Now notice his attitude in chapter 16, verse 28 this time. And there was no deliverer because, excuse me, uh, let's go to, I'm in the wrong chapter, obviously. Yep, 16 chapter, verse 28. I must have flipped the page accidentally. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me. Hey, wait a second. Just a few verses before, he thinks God's all over him. He's got the power of God in his life, and he's going out with all this arrogance and pride. I'll just shake myself like before, and I'll whoop them boys. Well, now all of a sudden look at him. What a difference in his attitude. What a difference in his spirit. And notice now, this is a man that's broken. This is a man that's been brought low. Just strengthen me, Lord. Just this once. Just this once. Psalm chapter 119, verse 67 says, I believe here's the secret to it all. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. See, what took place between chapter, uh, verse 20 and verse 28? Well, obviously Samson had his eyes put out. He was bound. And he was taken captive by the Philistines. That's what happened. I guess one of the scary questions in our lives is this, and it's something that we have to face regularly if we're really honest with ourselves. What's it going to take for us to be broken? I mean, when we know there's sin in our life and we're not addressing it and dealing with it, what is it going to take to break us? Because obviously it takes something We learn that from Samson. But not only that, God will hear our prayer, though, if we're broken. We know that God heard his prayer, did he not? We know that for a fact because, boy, I'll tell you what, the pillars fell. Thank God that God will hear our prayer if we're broken. 
But also, look verse 29 and 30. God will restore our strength if we're humble. He'll restore our strength if we're humble. Verse 29 through 30. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which, upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up. And the one, excuse me, of the one with his right hand, the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And Samson, he, he was a broken man. But he also was a humbled man. He had been humbled now. And you know what was restored to him? His strength. Turn your Bible to James chapter 4 very quickly. Verse 8 through 10. James chapter 4. We'll just look at this couple of verses. You know, when we think about sin in our lives, sometimes, let's be honest, we find ourselves kind of feeling like the cost of dealing with it is, would be so great that we, don't, we just don't want to pay that price. But what we don't understand is that the price that we'll pay because we don't deal with it could be much greater. And most often it is. See, we have to really realize that we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we really don't have the authority to decide to do, to do whatever we choose to do, really. We don't have that right. Someone says, what's well, my life? I'll do what I want with it. See, as a believer, you don't have those rights. You really don't. Neither do I. Someone says, well, God won't. God, God's a gentleman. He'll never force. No, but we do know that he is a father, too. And as a father, he'll chase him. So we've got to ask ourselves some tough questions along the way. Now, James 4, verse 8 through 10. Notice, he's going to restore our strength if we are humble. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now notice again the process, though. Notice where we go before we're humbled, usually. It's a brokenness. It's a mourning, it's an affliction, it's a weeping. We find ourselves drawing nigh to God. And how do we do that? By cleansing our hands. By purifying our hearts. By allowing ourselves to be afflicted and dying to self and crucifying the flesh. And when we have humbled ourselves in the sight of the Lord, He shall lift us up. And that's what we see here. The strength being restored because of humility. So, God will hear our prayer if we're broken. That's what we learn about the Father. Not only that, but He'll restore our strength if we're humbled. And finally, He'll use us again if we're willing. He'll use us again if we're willing. Look at verse 30, the last part of the passage. We'll read it from the beginning, but it says, Let me die with the Philistines, Samson says. And he bowed himself with all his might. Notice, And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the, so the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. <clears throat> I'm glad we see in Samson this tremendous, wonderful principle. I mean, the broken-hearted, humbled servant of the Lord can be restored to active duty once again. Isn't that great? I mean, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. doesn't matter what you've done. The reality is, is that we're just works in progress and God is happy to use us again if we will be broken, humbled, and willing. Sadly, Samson's duty was short-lived. Because he gave himself to licentiousness and the flesh. But at least he was used nonetheless. See, I guess here is where the warning has to come. <clears throat> sure, God used Samson again. He was broken and he was humbled. And he was willing to be used again. But notice the length of his duty. It wasn't very long. 
Be careful that you don't give your life to the flesh so long that you leave nothing for God to use. Just be careful. Some of you young people think, I've got a long life ahead of me. I'm just going to enjoy sin for a short time and then I'll come back. It's amazing how many never do make it back. But even if they do, sometimes they've wasted their best years. And often they've wasted, if I can say it simply this way, a lot of brain cells. I've watched young men just like you, 10 years from where you're seated, not be able to talk, hardly walk, and function because they've sold their soul to drugs and alcohol and immorality. So don't think for a minute you're going to beat sin. You won't. No one beats sin. We think of Jonah. What a great example he is of this same principle. Remember, broken, humbled, and willing. We have Jonah and, you know, he rebelled against the word of the Lord and chose his own pathway and direction in life, didn't he? I mean, that that is until he met up with a whale of a problem. When he met up with that whale of a problem, let me tell you something, it had a tendency to affect him in a biblical manner. It's interesting to note how affliction can redirect our attention back to God, isn't it? It always does. Or at least it seems that it does in many cases. We note that reality it's sprinkled and sparkled throughout the whole Word of God, really. We see men and women in the Bible that have lost sight of the Lord and went their own direction. But boy, I'll tell you what, problems and circumstances have a tendency to refocus us. Jonah was ultimately broken there in the belly of that well. He was humbled in that same place. And when he was coughed back up onto dry ground, he may have looked ragged and worn, but he was a new man. And his spirit soared for God like it hadn't soared in years. And man, I mean to tell you, he did not allow grass to grow under his feet then. I mean, a three-day journey he made in simply one. This man was willing to be used again. And you know, that's what we, you and I, need to do. If ever in our lives we find ourselves fallen or we see ourselves going backwards for God, we just need to be broken again. We need to be humbled and then we just need to be willing to say, God, just use me again. I've often heard people say things like, God will never use me. I have made some really bad decisions in my life. I've made a mess of everything. This may not sit well with some, but let me say it. I'm convinced that in most cases that statement is not as much an explanation for their insubordination as it is an excuse. I'm not convinced in most cases that is not an explanation why they're not obeying and serving God. It's usually an excuse. The God of the Bible is a forgiving God. And in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What the passage implies is that we're restored back into perfect harmony and perfect fellowship with God who we once opposed. Not only are we forgiven, but we are cleansed, the Bible says. When it comes to you and God, you are clean. And the only one who knows that you ever really got dirty is God. Wait, take that back. You. Because God forgot it. See, God doesn't remember when He's, He... He forgives and He forgets. You say, well, there are other people. Sure, those around you that are aware of your situation that were infected and affected by your blatant disobedience and radical rebellion, without a doubt. Without a doubt. But let me say this. They have, they have no power to withhold God's forgiveness in your life. No power to withhold cleansing and ultimate blessing in your life. There's no way in the world they can do that. The fact is, the only one that really matters is you in this. 
Because God's already forgotten it. It's up to you now to say, Lord, I'm broken. Lord, I've been humbled. God, I'm willing. And He will, He will use you again. He'll use you. What a wonderful reality. God will use the backslidden, rebellious, and disobedient child of God who is genuinely broken, humbled, and willing to go back into the battle. I like that. That's a blessing. Samson, the strong, the Bible strong man. He was ruled by his passions. Never been there, right? Ruled by his passions. And although he could subdue a thousand with only the jawbone of an ass, he was powerless to defeat his own flesh. After God permitted him to be chastened and tormented by the enemy, he awakes to his insubordination and self-serving nature. He's finally broken, humbled through his circumstances, and it is then and only then that he's fit for service. And it is then that God uses him again. Yes, amen. We serve a God of second chances. It doesn't mean that we take the first one and mess it up. Because we got another chance. But if indeed we have made a mess of things, thank God He'll forgive us. As long as we're broken and humbled and willing to be used again, He is more than willing to use us. Thank God for that. Samson went to his grave victorious. May God help us to live victorious. May it not cost us our life to end well. Let's not go that far with it. But let's live our life victoriously. Lessons from the grave. We serve a God of second chances. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for all you do for us and all you mean to us. Lord, again, we thank you that no matter what we've done in life to disappoint you or even disobey you, you give us another chance if we are truly broken and humbled.